0: The Boy Scouts' motto is, be prepared. But what could have possibly prepared 11, 12, and even 15-year-olds for encounters with sexual predators, especially when the same predators were supposed to teach these children high moral values? There are hundreds of accounts of these sexual molestation cases contained in what is termed the perversion files or ineligible volunteer files. According to the scouts, these files were meant to be a buffer to prevent the predators from re-entering scouting. Unfortunately, there have been numerous failures. After analyzing the files, it was determined that in many instances, sexual deviants were kicked out of the scouts, only to be allowed back in at a different location and sometimes under a different name. The stories are horrendous. The stories tell in somewhat explicit detail of boys being subjected to nudity, being fondled, and raped by scoutmasters. Keep in mind these are children. Keep in mind the Boy Scouts' motto, Be Prepared. Be prepared for what and by whom. Certainly it would have been wonderful if these boys were prepared in some foolproof manner for these encounters. With immoral predators. But who would have prepared them? The Boy Scouts? With their history, how likely would that be? And how would they have been prepared? These are just some of the questions we'll seek to gain answers to through the Holy Scriptures in this program. I'd like to say good afternoon to you, and the Most High, in the name of Christ, bless you. I am Josiah. And welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. At this point, I I would like to point out to you that we do have a chat room, and it's open and available for your comments and questions. This week's the title to the show is Illicit Sex, The Perverted Scoutmaster. And this is the second program in a series of programs involving illicit sex where uh, the brothers here in the virtual living room will bring out scriptures pertaining to uh, sexual activities, those that, uh, that are illegal according to the scriptures, explain how these things work, explain the motivations behind it, and possibly how you would go about curing those things if you happen to be one of those persons, as many people are, that are prone to some type of illicit sex. So joining me here in the virtual living room today to discuss this topic surrounding the, the perverted Scoutmaster, we have first off our brother Kabar.
1: Yes, so long brothers and sisters, it's good to once again be with you. And as always, giving all praise, honor, and glory to the Heavenly Father and in, his, in, his, in the name of His Son, Christ, for the opportunity to bring forth his doctrine as it is written in the Holy Bible. Shalom.
0: We also have joining us sitting here in the virtual living room, our brother Kazakia.
2: Hey, shalom to all the brothers on the panel. Shalom to our listeners. All praises to the Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. It's good to be back and definitely uh, looking forward to uh, investigating the subject matter through the discussions.
0: And probably taking the most comfortable seat in the virtual living room, we have our brother Abaja.
3: I want to give all praises to the Heavenly Father in Christ for another opportunity to preach His Holy Gospel and say shalom and greetings to all our listeners. And as always, we hope that everyone that listens receives edification.
0: Well, brothers, thank you for uh, coming to the program today, uh, joining us to discuss this topic. Um, you know, this is this is one of those topics that if if you are a parent, uh, you have to be really concerned because um, you know the Boy Scouts is one of those organizations that um, for it has, in many minds, epitomized uh, trust and high moral values. And now, um, a few weeks ago, uh, there was uh, news about these perversion files, uh, what the um, uh, the Boy Scouts called, um, what was it, uh, ineligible volunteer files. I think that's what the Boy Scouts called it, but uh, I think in the media they've become to be known as the perversion files. So, you know, you had these situations with um, the the church, uh, predominantly the Catholic church, where a number of young boys uh, had been molested over time, and uh, there was nothing that uh, substantial, significant, and and, and final done to resolve these issues. Instead, what was happening in many instances is priests were moved from one parish to another, and it seemed more like a cover-up than anything else. And now it seems like the same thing is happening to the Boy, the Boy Scouts. So it kind of begs the question, you know, where is it? What type of organization can you get your children involved in when, they, when they're very young that you can feel that they're going to be safe in? Um, but before we get deep into all that, I, I would first like to know, did, did, what do you brothers know about the Boy Scouts? Anything at all? Well, the Boy Scouts
2: right. basically is a uh, type of organization in which you know young men can affiliate themselves and, and develop that uh, that the, more or less that that bond, that camaraderie, and working together under a, a, a set, a established set of guidelines, a established set of dis- discipline, in which these young men, as they work together and advance in the Boy Scouts, they grow into uh, they grow into young responsible men. Basically, more or less, it's kind of like a preparation for, for life or, or more or less a preparation for, for uh, uh, in some cases, military. You know, a lot of persons uh, that, 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 that are involved in the military actually got a, got, got a start, not, not all, but a lot got a start in the Boy Scouts. So basically oh. it's, it's an organization that, that grooms and develops young men.
0: And, and and you're right on there you know i went to the website and you know pulled a few things off that and i want to um you know present that to you brothers uh but but also in in this program today um you know i, I want to discuss with you uh you know at, at least uh, uh one or two instances in of uh, these files these perversion files and and talk about the child molesters roles what's what's the motivation behind that does the scripture bring any clarity to that and if you're one of those persons that, you know, has a propensity for molesting children, you know, what things must you do in order to um, resolve that within you, so that you don't end up doing uh, committing these heinous deeds. Um, and and also. Uh, talk about the parents' role, their responsibility, and finally, about the children, because, you know, I think in a lot of instances, you know, parents and children, uh, they are both victimized. Of course, the child is the is, is most victimized, but they're both victimized, and sometimes, to some extent, even the children, after they've been victims, they feel uh, feel blamed, so I want to discuss that also, but let, let me t- tell you, uh, first of all, the Boy Scouts, uh, their mission, The mission of the Boy Scouts, the mission of the Boy Scouts of America is to prepare young people to make ethical and moral choices over their lifetimes by instilling in them the values of the Scout Oath and Scout Law. So the Scout Oath, the Scout Oath reads, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the Scout Law to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. The Scout Law. A Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. reverent. Now, Brothers, is there anything that I just read to you in the mission, the Scout Oath, or the Scout Law that you might take exception to?
1: Not particularly. No, I can't think of anything. But I guess, well, not I guess, um, because I, I, I have something to add to, to that point that you're making right now as far as the Scouts and some of the things that they stand for. Okay. And the thing. The thing that I'm pulling from is coming from Wikipedia, um, the of the Boy Scouts of America, and it was founded in 1910, but it was part of a scout movement, um, which is, which is, which was actually founded in, um, in England, uh, much in 1905. But the goal of the Boy Scouts of America, this chapter, because they divided up in chapters, or what they call troops so you have like troops 72 or troops 78 and
4: mm-hmm. that,
1: that designates what location that actual um uh grouping actually is you know somewhere in the world but the Boy Scouts of america goal is to train youth in responsible citizenship character development and self-reliance through participation in a wide range of outdoor activities, educational programs, and at older age levels, career-oriented programs in partnership with community organizations, scouting values such as trustworthiness, good citizenship, and outdoor skills uh, through a variety of activities such as camping, aquatic, and hiking. So these are some of the things that they're trying to instill in children, but the but the ironic thing about mm-hmm. these these very things that they're trying to instill in children is that they these these things that's supposed to be instilled in children are actually supposed to be coming from a particular source and the source is not supposed to be the Boy Scouts of America it's actually supposed to start much earlier than that and if parents are sending Children at whatever age To these organizations in order to get These things instilled in them We we see The type of situation that develops um, Like the one We're talking about now
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it,
1: and it just thinks with, with Any government organization Or institution Private or government Where you have large collections especially Of children There is always abuse You cannot name one organization where it doesn't exist. And wherever you have large collections of children actually uh, being large amounts, large numbers coming together under adult supervision and whatever government or private organization it is, there is abuse. But it
0: shouldn't happen, though, right?
1: It it absolutely shouldn't happen. But but you begin to see where the breakdown actually comes in at. The breakdown Mm -hmm. is secondarily these institutions, private or government. The breakdown primarily is the family inside the home.
0: Okay. Now you're starting to get a little bit ahead of me because I definitely want to get to that point. Uh, but we're going to get to that here in a little bit. I want to go just a little bit more into uh, the Boy Scouts. Uh, you brought out a number of things. But uh, the Boy Scouts is broken down in basically two organizations. Um, the Cub Scouts, which is for boys um, – ages 7 through 10. And when I was growing up, I was actually a member of the Cub Scouts. I always wanted to become a Boy Scout. I, I can't tell you what happened, and I didn't become a Boy Scout, but I, maybe we were just too poor I couldn't afford to do so I don't know. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I was at this point I can say I was fortunate enough not to become a Boy Scout. Oh, <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the membership for Cub Scouts um there's uh, one and a half million uh, total Cub Scouts. Uh, th- that's a, pr- a big number. And I think it's important to put these numbers out here because later on we're going to discuss uh, how many of uh, the numbers that were actually involved in these perversion files. Um, so the model for the Cub Scouts is do your best. Okay, very general statement, uh, direct and to the point to do your best. A uh, fairly easy concept for someone that young to uh, to understand. Uh, the model for the Boy Scouts, as I said earlier, is be prepared. They also have a slogan, which, which is do a good turn daily. Uh, I think, you know, you probably heard you do your daily good deed. So I think that's what that, that's referring to. And Boy Scouts are ages 11 through 17 years of age. And there's uh, a bit more than 800,000 Boy Scouts. There's uh, about uh, close to 40,000 Boy Scout troops in the United States. Um, There's something else that that I I didn't know whether I really wanted to bring out or not uh, that I found kind of curious. And I I don't think this is going to be much of a a topic for discussion. But uh, they have uh, what's called a Scouting uh, Anniversary Celebration. And this takes place in, in February. Um, and this is to uh, commemorate the anniversary of when they became an organization back in 1910. Um, so it takes place, they have uh, two different observances. <clears throat> um, one is the Scout Sabbath. Did you hear me, brothers?
4: Yep. Scout I did say Sabbath.
0: Sabbath. Wow. And that's observed on the Saturday after February 8th. Saturday, Scout Sabbath. The second one is Scout Sunday, observed the Sunday before February eighth. All right. I just thought that was kind of curious. I just wanted to bring your attention to that. Now,
1: you know, you're fine. Let me. I'm sorry, but I just want to. I just want to add to whenever you're done, some of the some of the other information, um, just on the Boy Scouts in general too, or absolutely. General whatnot. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and of course, and again, pulling this from Wikipedia, uh, Boy Scouts of America is one of the largest youth organizations in the United States. It has 2.7 million mm-hmm. youth members um, and over a million adult volunteers. Because most of the organization is driven by, of course, volunteer service, and anyone basically can walk in off the mm-hmm. off the street and try to volunteer for this thing. I would suppose now in 2012 they have, you know, uh, know, of course, the databases and things where they can run people's information. But when you're talking about back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you wouldn't have known who most of the people were walking in off the street. Um, Also, Boy Scouting of America, of course, was started out of the scouting movement. And, of course, the scouting movement began in 1907 when Robert baden Powell, a lieutenant general in the British Army, this is alluding back to the point that the brother Kazaki made as far as uh, the Boy Scouts and, and a lot of his origins, a lot of it is military-oriented and a lot of times acts as a bridgeway uh, from youth, young children being trained up in a certain type of mindset and then being shuttled into various branches of the military. So the scouting began in 19. Uh, scouting movement began in 1907 when when uh, Robert Baden-Powell, a lieutenant general in the British Army, Army held the first scouting encampment in Brown Sea Island in England. Uh, uh, Powell wrote the principles of scouting in Scouting for Boys in London. Uh, this was in 1908, based on his earlier military books with influence and support of Frederick Russell Berman and he's the chief scout in in, in, in British Africa
4: mm-hmm. also
1: Ernest Thompson Seaton of the woodcraft Indians this is like another type of Scouts um, also the support of William Alexander Smith of the boys boys were Be, excuse me boys Begray and his publisher Pearson Um going on, it says, another widely recognized movement characteristic characteristic is the scout uniform. And it says, by intent, hiding all difference of social standing in the country and making for equality. With ne- ne- neckerchief, that's like what the children wear around their neck with that little fleur de right. lis cl- clasp on it. With neckerchiefs and camping hat or comparable hats, hey, headwear distinctive uniform insignia including the fleur-de-lis and the tri as well as badges and other patches but the part I want to get back to is this uniforming or uniformity of all the children and of course one of the main tenets of the military is uniformity meaning everybody mm-hmm. is basically turned into a yellow number two pencil and the main point of that is they obeying what they're told. So when we talk about this bridgeway into military service and things like that, as far as just becoming a robot and taking orders, here you have the early beginnings of that training going on. And another thing, another aspect that we can do a a show later on, just when we start talking about this abuse is in the military right now, you have high levels of sexual abuse against women in the military right now. So mm. it just goes to show you this abuse goes from the earliest stages to even the latest stages. And Whenever you have large collections of even adults and children into these institutions, you have abuse.
0: So and what you're speaking in terms time. of in the military, you're speaking in terms of sexual abuse of women in the military?
1: Sexual abuse of women in the military and just like we're talking about here, it's being covered up and hush, hush, and not mm-hmm. really talked about. It. Wow, but that's another show. But exactly drawing <laughs> parallels as far as as far as the type of characteristics you see, in in the whole military aspect and interactions.
0: Well, I tell you, the world continues to make more material for us to talk about, don't it? Oh, oh yeah,
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. <laughs> you yeah, uh, brothers, I, I do have uh, some information here that I want to refer to a clip. Uh, that is going to go more into why we are talking about uh, the Boy Scouts. We brought out a couple of things, but, uh, you know, just for clarification with our audience, I want to bring it a little bit further with this clip.
4: Now to why the Boy Scouts of America are in the news tonight. It's about the release of thousands of previously confidential documents. They detail more than two decades of alleged abuse by the very people parents were trusting to take care of their children. Our report tonight from NBC's Ann Thompson.
5: They are called the perversion files, 1,247 cases of known or suspected child abusers who were in the Boy Scouts, files kept by the Boy Scouts and made public today by two Portland, Oregon attorneys.
2: The Boy Scouts knew they had an institution-wide problem with child abuse
4: and didn't take steps to deal with that.
5: The files contain information about reported abusers in 49 states from 1965 to 1985. This one concerns a scout leader convicted of child abuse in 1984 near Syracuse, New York. It holds his record sheet, letters between scout leaders, and newspaper clippings. Some cases went to authorities. Others did not.
1: It's a lesson that can't be
2: learned well enough. And what these files represent is really the pain and the anguish of
0: Thousands of untold scouts were sorry that happened.
5: In an interview earlier this week, Boy Scout President Wayne Perry apologized to the victims for not doing enough to protect them, but made no apologies for the files he calls the ineligible volunteer files. Perry says they've been kept since the 1920s in an effort to prevent abusers from returning.
1: Our eligible volunteer file is a uh, a big element of our keeping track and making sure that nobody gets in. People should be happy we have these files. You want us to keep these files, and we will keep these files.
5: Today, the scouts require background checks of volunteers, mandatory reporting of abuse, and training. We do everything we can in scouting to keep our kids safe. You'll find all kinds of information on this website, Dr. Frank Spinelli says his scout leader molested him for two years in the late 70s.
4: I told my parents, and they went to the other assistant scoutmasters, who persuaded my parents not to press charges.
5: Though his case is not included, Spinelli says the files send a very important message.
4: It really is a matter of going to the authorities and not the system itself, because the system is just going to protect itself.
5: The Boy Scouts apologized once again this afternoon, and the organization promises to review all its files from 1965 to the present day and report all good faith suspicions of abuse that have not been reported to law enforcement. Brian?
0: And Thompson with
4: us here tonight, And Thanks.
0: Okay, brothers. Uh, that's the reason why we're here, um, because of this information that surfaced a few weeks ago from these files that have been kept secret uh, from the general public for decades now. Um, so, you know, one of the things uh, I would like to discuss is, uh, you know, the, the the role of the Boy Scouts and all of this, brothers. Um, and Abadja, you know, when, when it comes to the Boy Scouts, and I want to read uh, an excerpt here from the L.A. Times. It says, uh, scouting officials say they used the files to prevent hundreds of men who had been expelled for alleged sexual abuse. From returning to the ranks, they fought hard in court to keep the records from public view, saying confidentiality was needed to protect victims, witnesses, and anyone falsely accused. Now let's let's keep put things in some perspective here, Abaja. You you have about a a million and a half, you know, currently a million and a half Cub Scouts, and you have uh, more than eight hundred thousand Boy Scouts. That's you know roughly about uh two and a half million uh scouts altogether. And then you have all the volunteers and so forth in there. Now for the two decades of the seventies and eighties, uh to put things in perspective, out of all those people, you have a bit more than twelve hundred files that uh they turned to perversion files where some uh illicit acts of sexual activity was uh taking place. Now, when you put things in perspective like that, Abaja, uh, would, would you say that the Boy Scouts is or does remain a relatively safe organization?
3: Well, I'm not going to speak on the safety of an organization because, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the safety of your children, the primary responsibility of the safety of our children, lies on the parents. Um, because you have to really understand something, and I think uh, I think Kabar had actually hit on it, and Zaki hit on it as well. It is you know it's like when you given the time frame of when those events had occurred, you know the mentality of society at that time was those are things that you don't openly talk about, and you know even though these things have always been going on, you know it didn't just start twenty years ago, thirty years ago. These things have always been going on, but it's just a willingness of you know, these things to be spoken about openly, that's what has changed over the years. And that is what has caused people to so called look at things as being so called safe or not. Um, but going back to your point, I couldn't I say that it was any more safe than, say, the Girl Scouts or any more safe than the YMCA or anything like that. At the end of the day, the, the safety of our children, the primary responsibility goes back solely on the parents.
0: Okay, let me let me go to you. Did someone have something to say?
2: Yeah. Um and I also put it in the chat, room if you don't mind. And the organization's only as safe, quote unquote as the members that work in it. And the reason why I say that because believe it or not, brothers, I used to be involved with the Boy Scouts. And uh, my both my parents knew my scoutmaster mm-hmm. and my scoutmaster master knew both my parents.
6: Mm-hmm. So there
2: was there was that res, there was that mutual respect that was there. Uh, between my parents and my scout master and vice versa. So, you know, yes, I was still questioned, okay, what did you talk about? Where did you guys go? What, do you, what did you guys do? But, but at the same time, on the, on, the other, on the other side of it, it was, it was, it was something of an inferred slash understood thing that we're trusting you with our son uh, to his safety and his well-being. Right. and uh while I was there when we, when, 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 when we did go camping, uh, when we did go on hikes and, and out in the woods and, and when we affiliated with other troops uh, in the area, uh, from my perspective there, 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 there was no evidence or manifestation of any type of abuse. Not, not, mm-hmm. not to defend the, the BSA per se, but
4: just
2: right. letting, just, just informing you, uh, you brothers, uh, from my experiences with, uh, with the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, because with my scoutmaster, you know, he was like, believe it or not, he was like a, a surrogate father, and by that, you know, he was entrusted with the safety, well-being of the children uh, uh, that, that that were members of the troop, and and with him, it was, okay, this is what we are going to do. This is where we are going to go. You are to walk this way. You are to carry yourself in this manner. If you do not if you do not obey what I'm telling you to do, there are going to be certain penalties that you're going to have to pay. Nonetheless, uh, the, the, the overall safety, quote, unquote, is only as safe as the members that work in it. Now, I would like to introduce the scripture involved in this, too. And uh, that scripture that uh, that I would like to introduce is Proverbs chapter 27, excuse me, and uh, verse 23. And uh, this is a scripture that has come up many times in the past, and it still is applicable to what we're talking about today. And that is, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. Now, let's let's pull from the example. No one is calling anybody else's child livestock. But the example is just as a shepherd is diligent to know what's going on with his herd, with his with his uh, with his animals. That's the same type of care and diligence we as parents have to take concerning the safety and well-being of our children. Mm-hmm. Even in organizations such as the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, so forth and so on. Uh, you. You can't just drop them off anywhere and say, okay, they'll take care of it. That's something that I definitely would not uh, recommend to anyone that they do. However, it is the responsibility of the parents to, to, to look in and make sure that things are happening the way that they're supposed to happen into which the safety slash well-being of the child is not being
0: jeopardized. Okay, and, and you know, like I want to really delve into that—the the, the parents' role and so forth. But I, I want to go just a little bit uh, more into uh, the the role of the Boy Scouts of America. And um, uh, um, Kabar, uh, there's a yeah. part in this LA Times article here. It reads: uh, The Boy Scouts of America believes even a single instance, a single instance of abuse is unacceptable and we regret that there have been times when the Boy Scouts of America, America's best res- best efforts to protect children were insufficient. For that, we are very sorry and extend our deepest sympathies to victims. We are committed to the ongoing enhancement of our program in line with evolving best practices for protecting youth. The Scouts have maintained Ineligible volunteer files in one form or another since at least 1919 to keep track of men who failed to meet scouting's moral standards. Files that involve allegations of child sexual abuse were dubbed perversion files. A master list of those banned from, from scouting has been computerized since 1975 and is used to vet applicants for volunteer and paid positions. And I want to add to that, they've also gone to the extent now of using uh, background checks and so forth to vet those applicants. Um, so my 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 point in bringing all this out and and bringing out the fact of the uh, the the scope of the whole situation, you know, the number of people you're dealing with, and then you look at the number of instances of these things occurring over years. Now. You, you heard me read uh, the, the, the creed for the Boy Scouts earlier, the, the Scout Oath and the Scout Law, their mission. And there was nothing in there uh, that everything, everything about it seemed to be clean and pure, something that you would want your children to be involved in, just based upon that alone. So now what you have is um, some people, a few people compared to the number of people that are actually involved, a few people that have come in and they've actually perverted, uh, perpetrated acts of perversion upon this organization. And I'm just going at it from a different angle, a different view, okay, because obviously not everybody is engaged in this. Not every volunteer is doing this. So now is this a situation where the Boy Scouts need to do more, are they doing uh, kabar do they need to do more are they doing what they should do and and because they they, they say they're continuing to continuing to look for ways to improve things as they learn new uh, best practices so well or 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 they have they been just are uh, they just insufficient and this whole organization should be dissolved
1: you know what The the fact that the matter these whether well, we're talking about the Boy Scouts because mm-hmm. you, know, you could break it down to a numerical value and maybe you're talking about uh, out of the, the millions of children involved the, the, the almost 3 million children involved or a million adults involved and the percentage of what we're talking about is maybe less than 5% or 3% or even 1%. Right.
0: It's probably
1: a fraction of 1%. A fraction of 1%. And i right. and. and, and uh, Right.
0: Because, because keep in mind the two the two and a half million plus that are involved. That's right now. Um, you know there there are new children coming in and children going out every year. So when you start looking at over the course of uh, a couple of decades, you're probably looking at uh, maybe 10 million or more uh, children or people that have been involved, involved with this organization. And over that period of time, you have these uh, a little bit more than 1,247 cases that they're, they're actually discussing now. So when you put things in scope, you know, does that indicate that the boys, Boy Scouts are doing, in a relative sense, a good job of looking at the children and protecting them?
1: Well, you know what? Well, we say the same thing when we're dealing with, you know, the class Catholic priests and the abuses going on there mm-hmm. because, because the, the percentage would actually be even smaller because the numbers are far greater. Right You know what I mean you We're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a percent in And yet still all the outrage The fact right. of the matter is No matter what type of security or screening uh, uh, Procedures you put in, in place You cannot overcome this First uh, John chapter 5 and verse 19 it says And we know that we are of God And the whole world lieth in wickedness that is the setting, that is the backdrop in which we are operating as far as which type of world we're living in. And the world mm-hmm. we're living in is wicked. But the world is not the trees and the birds and the water. The world that is speaking about here is the people. It's the people that live on the planet Earth. That, mm-hmm. That's where all the problem is coming from. That's the world. The world is made up of the people. So we know the world lies in wickedness, but how did that happen? Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart, meaning the mind, the heart, the mind, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Mm -hmm. That's the type of mindset that is causing this world to be so wicked. And that is coming from motivated out of and influenced by Satan the devil. And when people take on his ways and characteristics, this is a type of wickedness and and, and, and uh perversion that we see. And I'm bring I'm saying all that to say this. There is no man made screening process that can eliminate the wickedness in the minds of men. Mm-hmm. There's only one way to actually eliminate it. And it has nothing to do with a database, your screening process,
0: or anything
1: like that. The only way to eliminate it is through repentance through Christ and receiving of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only way to eliminate it and for the people themselves to be cured of this incurable sickness of sin and wickedness that's in their mind. So that's why it don't matter what type of program, screening process, uh, procedures you put in place, you're not going to be able to eradicate these type of acts being performed because these acts are spiritual and they can't be eradicated by anything physical. They have to be eradicated by something spiritual and stronger, and that's only by the Spirit of Heavenly Father through Christ. So that's why it doesn't matter what process you put in place, it's always going to fail. <laughs> all you're doing is all you're doing is trying to hold the cases or the instances in check. That's all you're doing and keeping them from multiplying exponentially. Mm-hmm. But they will, they will continue to appear and they will continue to happen and they will continue to arrive.
0: All right. Well, I think you uh, gave me a perfect segue into uh, the next aspect of what we're going to discuss today. And that is on the predator themselves, because you, you, you brought out in Jeremiah 17 about how people, and, and uh, there was another scripture you brought out about the whole world lies, lies in wickedness. Um, but those two things, you brought out how the, the world, in this case, are the people in the world, all right? <clears throat> so I want to take a look now at the predators. But before we do, let's go to a quick break.
7: Look, I want the truth. It's time out for those lies. Whenever something happens, all I get are lies, lies, and more lies okay? You know what? When things happen, I know where I can go to get away from all these lies and get to the real truth. Oh yeah, I'll get the truth whether you tell me or not. I'll get the truth from the brothers in the virtual living room. Those brothers tell the truth about what's going on in the world based on what's written in the Holy Scriptures. And you know what? I can get them live. That's right, live. I can hear them every Sunday at 2 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. And just in case something happens before then, I can still get truth from their archive shows. So keep on telling those lies. As for me and my house, we'll get the truth.
8: If you would like to contact us or learn more about the body of christ church you may do so by calling emailing or by visiting our website our telephone number is one 871 1712 our email address is bodyofchrist at ureach.com ureach is the letter u followed by the word reach so that bodyofchrist at com. Our website thedocc.com contains our telephone number and email address as well as audio and video biblical lessons and other information geared toward edification and repentance and good works Again, our website address is thedocc.com so please feel free to connect with us today
4: more programming about what the Bible says. Please go to wufoam.com every Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. and click on the Listen Live link. Thank you.
6: Shalom, brothers and sisters. My name is Hashi Young from the body of Christ Church in Waterbury. I would like you to take this time to invite you, or anyone you know that lives in or is planning to visit the Waterbury area of Connecticut, that's covering the areas of Waterbury, Middlebury, Prospect, and Walker, so tune in to tune into our show, Revelation of the Testament,
4: bearing every
6: Saturday at 12 noon to 1 p.m. on Channel 13. And may the
4: Most High in Christ bless your understanding and increase the fruits of your righteousness.
0: Okay, we're back with you, <clears throat> and today we're discussing um, some recent information a couple of weeks ago that came out in the media uh, regarding the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, there are some files that have been uncovered, it's a bit more than 1,200 files that have been turned by the media as the perversion files. Um, and uh, before we went on break, uh, uh Kabar had bought out uh, a point about how the whole world lies in wickedness. And also, uh, in Jeremiah 17, some scripture about um, how your heart is wicked and so forth. And I understand, and I I don't think there's anybody that would read about these instances with the the perverts about you, that uh, would think that there was nothing wrong with what these people did, Uh, even the perverts themselves. In many instances admit they were wrong And we, we're going to talk about one of these guys um, I think his last name is Menge <clears throat> But um, about in regard to uh, these uh, molesters Do you have any insight through the scriptures As to uh, what may be motivating them Why, how, how did they get to the point That they would do something to a child Do something like this to a child
3: yeah, is real simple um I got a couple of places that I want to go first, I want to go because the scriptures are very clear as far as how we get to the point of committing any act of sin, whether it be child molestation, whether it be adultery, murder, you know anything that's against the scriptures is very clear as far as you know how these things happen mm-hmm. and um holding my plate here, but I seem' to have lost it but I think it's in uh James where it says um goes into the whole thing of how uh, sin, when it brings forth, I mean, uh, the lust when it brings forth, sin, when it to continued. Yeah, James so 1, 27, I believe. That's it. Okay. Give me a second here. Here we go. James 1, and here we go. Um, verse 12, it says, I'm actually just go straight to the point, James 1 and 13, or 14 rather. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Because we understand, you know, the brother read the scripture earlier from 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, where it mm-hmm. says that we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness, okay? So that means that every last one of us on this earth, people just have different poisons, okay? And the poison that we're talking about today is, you know, these pedophiles that are abusing these young men in, in this organization. But it says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So that basically means that anything... Anytime we find ourselves in a situation where we're sitting there meditating on these things or doing things to fulfill our lusts, we get tempted or we get enticed by those things, and then we start making ways to accomplish those things or to fulfill those lusts. As
4: uh-huh.
3: us in verse 15, it says, Then when lusts have conceived, it brings forth sin. So the thought enters our mind, and then we sit there and toy around with it and play around with it, and then we start, rather than rebuking that, those evil thoughts, a lot of people would just figure out ways on how to accomplish those sins because the conception of that thought is there. Now it's going to bring forth the act. That's why it says, you know, when lust hath conceived, bring it bringeth forth sin. And it says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Meaning now we have to be subject to the judgments of the Heavenly Father for committing these things. But now I want to go to the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 12, which goes into the whole thing of how we're supposed to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. Romans 13, I'm going to start at uh, verse 12, because all this goes back to repentance through Jesus Christ. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Because all of those things that it speaks of, I think it's like the uh, Galatians or Ephesians, the fifth chapter, going into like, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are the things that we must repent through Christ uh, repent through Christ and basically growing those things to help conquer the works of the flesh. Because we spend a lot of our time doing a lot of things that are contrary to the scriptures and are not following the example of Christ. That's why it says that the night is far spent and the day is at hand, meaning it's time for us to repent. Verse thirteen, it says let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Now this is the point that I really wanted to go to in verse fourteen. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So that means basically in the case where these men, they know they have a propensity to want to touch little boys or young men. Mm -hmm. Then by them putting on the armor or that light of Jesus Christ, basically that's them that okay, you know what? According to the Bible, this is wrong. So what do I need to do? First of all, I need to repent of those thoughts. And secondly, they need to get some help. Okay? But the other thing where it says I want to uh, focus on is make not provision for the flesh. If they know that they have the propensity or the, the willingness or the potential to touch those little boys, then maybe they shouldn't be around them. Mm-hmm. The same thing as that someone that's a recovering alcoholic, once they go through uh, rehab, listen, you're not going to, most of them, pretty much all of them, you're not going to see them with the drink in their hand. They're not going to put themselves in the circumstances to where they would basically fall weak and have a relapse.
0: Okay, so let, let
3: me clear on that.
0: Let, let, I mean, let me go to uh, Kazaki about uh, our article here. Um, the title of the article is "Former U.S. Scoutmaster Admits He He Molested Boys." And Kazaki, I want to see if this kind of ties into what Abacha just brought out. This is written by uh, a Michael by Sicker uh, on uh, October 26th of this year. And it reads, uh, Thomas Menge's file is just one among 14,500 pages of perversion files compiled by the Boy Scouts of America between 1959 to 1985 and made public last week by court order. Former Scoutmaster Thomas J. Menga Jr. says he was usually drunk when he molested numerous Boy Scouts during the early 1970s. He was in his late 20s living in a Fayetteville motel and working as a Tupperware delivery man. He invited boys from Troop 786, as young as 11 years old, to ride with him along his route, requesting that they spend the night in his room so they could get an early start. Yes, our views, kids, Minge, now 69, said in an interview Wednesday with the Associated Press <clears throat> But just how many And other details I can't remember It was a long time ago And I was in a fog What I did was wrong Menge said sitting in a rocking chair On his front porch I'm not making any excuses But I was a heavy drinker And did pot every once in a while So Kazaki, Does that, does that tie into what Abadji was just bringing out at all?
2: Yes it ties, It ties in it definitely ties in because in this specific case of we, of this young man that we're talking about right here, he had lusts, not one, but more than one. He had a, a, a lust uh uh for alcohol. He had a lust for uh, to do uh to do pot. And then as he was doing as he as he was doing these things, then another lust came out, which was that lust to uh to uh to, to, to follow young men. So what he read, what you read in, uh, First and foremost In James the first chapter 13, 14, and 15 uh, That's definitely right That That is right on key And what he also read as far as How to overcome that Also in James uh, Chapter 1 verses 13, 14, and 15 Is on key as well as also Romans 13 And uh, uh, starting at verse uh, 11 all the way down That is on key Now uh, repentance That is definitely the key No pun intended mm-hmm. But that, mm-hmm. That's what repentance uh, Calls for But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ In other words And putting on the Lord Jesus Christ Is not talking about something Carnal with clothes It's a spiritual putting on It means you are repenting in Christ You are putting on those fruits Of the spirit And you are growing in the fruits of the spirit and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. In other words, provision is like a meal, so to speak, or something to sustain you. So what the scriptures are telling us is that we need to repent in Christ and don't create occasions or allow yourself to fall in situations in which you are now feeding your carnal person and and those carnal desires.
0: Okay. All right, uh, Kabar, um, <clears throat> for these guys that are uh, molesters, uh, there's, you know, Kazaki uh, uh, just thought about repenting, okay, which means to turn away, to stop doing those things, all right? So we have this guy that I just read, read to you about, Minge, and one of the last things that Minge said, he said uh, the only reason he stopped molesting boys was because he got caught. He says, that's when it really hit me. I knew I needed to quit and get help. Then I blacked it out, he said. He said he recognized the emotional and physical pain he caused and would like to apologize to his victims. He said that might not be enough now that his secret file can be read by anyone with an Internet connection. I don't know what I'm going to do, he said, I just don't want to wake up in jail. Alright? So what do you think about that account? Is <clears throat> is that is that how you go about cueing it? Is that you first get caught and then um just black it out of your mind? And you okay then?
1: No. You, you that's that's not that's not true repentance. But we can read about what true repentance says. What we'll do is we'll turn We'll turn to Proverbs chapter twenty eight and verse thirteen. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen gives us the definition of repentance. So Proverbs twenty eight thirteen it says he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Alright? And there's many many people try to cover their sins through denying it, all right, which is a, a form of what he did, but blocking it out, blocking it. Blacking it out, blocking it out, whatever you want to call it, you, you, you're you trying to cover your sins. You're trying to put them away. You're trying not to address them, whatever it is. All right, so the scripture says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So that's, that's true repentance. You have to confess it, meaning you are admitting that it's a sin against God and that's why it's wrong it's not wrong because you feel guilty it's not wrong because uh you know you didn't you, you don't like yourself it's wrong because it's a transgression of god's laws okay and where is that written at proverbs chapter twenty thirteen and Romans the first chapter those go into this particular aspect of sexual immorality, especially men with men or a man with a boy or so on and so forth that's that's what makes it wrong, because it's against the law, the commandments, the will of the Heavenly Father, first and foremost. And then, it's that's the confession, admitting that is wrong. And then it says, what, forsaking it. Now, I mean, he admitted that if he hadn't been caught, he would have kept doing it. I mean, am I, am I yes. reading that right? Did I hear that right?
0: I, I think that's the implied meaning, yes. I think you're right. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, So, so that, that's the second breakdown in the repentance process. You, there's no, like the brother already brought out, you can't make provisions. Provisions is, in the case of food, if you're going on a long trip, provisions is you're going to carry some food with you, store some food away. Okay, when we're talking about sin, how do you make provisions for sin? Okay, how you do that is, in your mind, you may have a way or a plan to commit in an act. Now, you make provisions because... You allow those uh, ways and plans to remain in your mind in order to accomplish a sin,
4: mm-hmm. okay?
1: Or you allow yourself to be put in position or, or put yourself in positions so that you can commit that act. That's making provision, okay? In any case that the brother of God is ringing out, you know you're weak to a certain thing. You know you're weak to a certain sin. You don't need to be around it ever. You need to stay away from that. For some people, that's just fine. They don't get these ideas and thoughts about little boys. But for you, you're going to get it. So don't make provisions Is you never want to be alone with a little boy. Okay?
4: Right. right. You don't invite him
1: into your house. You don't let him spend the night. You don't do any of that. Okay? So, but the thing we're talking about is, is the confession part, which you have a breakdown on, on his on his part about the blacking it out or putting it away or just trying to forget and then you have the, the forsaken part in which if the only way you're going to stop is if you get caught, in your mind, you never intended to really stop. In your mind, you never intended to really repent because if, if you still had an opportunity, if provisions were still made for you in order to do that, you would continue to do it. So that's the problem. We have to confess it, admit to God that is wrong because we've transgressed against his law, his commandments. And then we have to forsake it, meaning you're turning away from that sin and all others with the intent of never going back to it again because it's wrong. And then you begin to what? Pursue righteousness, meaning Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seeking the kingdom and his righteousness first and foremost above all things. And then everything else that you need for your life, the most I will add that unto you. That, that's true repentance. We can't try to black it out We can't try to black it out Or try to uh, only only stop If we're caught That's not true repentance We got to truly In truth and in spirit Confess it And forsake it And seek God in Christ And the kingdom of heaven
2: May I add right. something to that please? Yes I want to refer back to That statement that was made When it stated that uh, Mingi said the only reason He stopped molesting boys Was because he got caught Now, you drew the same conclusion that I drew. In other words, according to him, reading between the lines, if he didn't get caught, he would continue to molest little boys. Right. So the overall point now is I would like to read Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting at verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because – he didn't, because when he was doing these things, he didn't get caught. His, his mind now became focused or set on, I'm going to continue to molest and fondle these boys. Verse 12, though a sinner do evil an a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he feareth not before God I will also like to read uh, Ecclesiastes still That same book Chapter 11 and verse 9 now Where it says rejoice O young man in thy youth And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth And walk in the way of thine heart And in the sight of thine eyes But know thou That for all these things God will bring thee into judgment So He rejoiced He had a good time Messed around with these young men following, following these boys so forth and so on But as the scripture says But know thou That for all these things God will bring thee into judgment So for all these occasions In which this scoutmaster Was molesting these young men Now God Almighty is bringing him Into judgment Or about to bring him into judgment mm-hmm. Or will bring him into judgment For all these things that he committed all these crimes that he committed uh, Not only against these young men But also against the Heavenly Father Because to be a fornicator Because that that's what this is This is a case of fornication To be a fornicator Is not according to the will Of the Heavenly Father In other words, it is against his commandments
0: Okay, and I'm glad you brought that point up Because uh, I hear about the fact That this is fornication Because I had uh, just completely forgot about uh, a point that I wanted to bring out, and um, the thing is, you know, somehow or another, we all recognize that for this man to molest boys, that that's wrong. Okay, so if something inside us says that, or something outside of us. and Whatever it means, we we understand that. But we also understand that the way you go about deciding what's right and wrong is not by what's in your heart, what comes in your own mind, but those things, have, uh, your experiences have to be filtered through the scriptures so that the scriptures can point out to you what's actually right and wrong. So, about, you, uh, how is it through the scriptures, or either one of you brothers can weigh in on this, how is it through the scriptures do we know that these men molesting these boys, touching their genitals and so forth, how do we know that's incorrect? How do we know that that's wrong and that's sinful? What scriptures bring that out explicitly?
3: I think one of them will probably get it faster than me. <laughs> okay. I think, well, uh, you
4: know what? Let, let's, just, go
1: let's, just go to, let's just go to First John 3 and 4, okay? Because we're talking about what he did was wrong. And, see, you know, we don't want to get into these world definitions of wrong. World definitions of wrong is, you know, how people feel about it when they do it or whatever.
4: Right. If they don't
1: feel it's wrong, then it's not wrong, Okay. And, and, that's, and that's the thing, but we, we're not basing anything on that. We're, when we talk about right and wrong, it's not an emotional reaction we have into an event that happens. We're talking about we can see an act is committed, you go to the Bible, and you find out whether that act is, is good or evil, right or wrong, and that's it. Okay, so we're talking about uh, we can start at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Let's get the definition of sin or the definition of right and wrong. Okay. First John chapter 3 and verse 4 says, Whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law, because they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't clear enough, it goes on to say, For sin is the transgression of the law. Okay. So we know sin is when you break commandments that God set up. But right. the bulk of the commandments that we have, you can find them in the first five books of Moses. But the commandments continue to be expressed throughout the entire Bible Genesis and Revelation. It
4: mm-hmm. continues
1: to expound on the commandments, the judgments, the statutes, the mindset, the ways that God wants us to follow. Okay, so let's let's go into one of those aspects. Uh Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13 For so this specific Case and situation Because it's on a case by case basis Here's an act that's committed You go into the law you find a judgment of God On it that's what the judges that were set up Set up in our gate are supposed to do That's what the scribes and the Pharisees At the time of Christ are supposed to do And that's what your so called judges and pastors Are supposed to be doing today Which they don't So let's find it in the law Leviticus chapter twenty verse thirteen. Now here's this man he. He's saying he molested little boys, mm-hmm. touched, lied with, uh, uh, intimate with, sexual intercourse, whatever with little boys, male with another male. All right. Leviticus twenty thirteen. If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman. Okay, you're intimate with, lie with, uh, mm-hmm. have relations with a woman. That's That's how the natural order that God set up, man, with woman, of course, in righteousness. But it it, it shows you how the one man is dealing with another man like he would deal with a woman, and that's the situation we're talking about in this case. So if a man lies with with mankind, as he lies with woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Now here we're talking about a consenting situation with two adults, so on and so forth. Mm
4: -hmm. In the situation
1: here, it is two men. But the but the offense comes with that adult taking advantage of that child. Okay, so the child is not to blame in this situation. He was taken advantage of by the adult in that situation. Okay, okay. so that's why the guilt the guilt doesn't lie on the child. The guilt lies on the adult in this case. Okay, we're establishing okay. why it's wrong what he did because he was a man lying with mankind. It okay. Says, uh, they, they, uh, Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. I've already explained in this situation that it's explained here, it's consensual. In the situation that we're talking about here, it's not consensual. And that's why the sin lies with the adult who take advantage of the child. The child is not to be put to death. The child is not to be, be, put to, be blamed. The child didn't commit the sin. This act was committed on the child. Okay, so mm-hmm. now we, we establish why it is sent man with mankind. So this adult should have never did this to the child. The child didn't know that. The child didn't uh, 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 consent to that. The child was victimized by the adult. Okay, now, let's let's because you have people who don't understand the Bible, they're going to say, well, that's the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Anything written in the Old Testament mm-hmm. don't count anymore, which is a lie. But... Just, just the content. We'll go into room, Romans chapter one. And we'll start at. Um, we'll start at. I just go to the point. Romans chapter one, verse twenty-seven, and it says, "And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman. that was the natural use? God commanded in Genesis that the man, he gets a man, a woman, Eve. They were supposed to come together and produce children, raise them to serve God." they were serving God themselves. Okay, so that's the natural use of the woman. It says, it says, and likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, because that's what we're talking about in this case with this man victimizing his child. He burnt in his lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving them themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. Now, that's why what he did, and particularly laying with another male child, is sin. But it doesn't, even if it wasn't a, a male child, even if it was a little girl, it would still be termed under what you call fornication. And all fornication is, is an immoral sexual act. And this is why it's immoral. And, and why would because that
0: be termed as fornication if it was a little girl? Because you brought out clearly about uh, men with men that that's a violation of the law. But now, you, you, we, we've gone from a, a man dealing with a girl. So how's that in violation?
1: Okay, this is why it's in violation. When we talk about immoral sexual acts, right? Mm-hmm. That is the general term, uh, um, a definition of what you call fornication. Fornication is just a old English word that just means immoral sexual acts. Now you have particular immoral sexual acts like a man or woman lying with a beast or a man lying with another man or a woman lying with another man or a man lying with another another man's wife, okay? That's adultery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in each case, you're talking about incest. That's a particular sexual act. Bestiality, particular immoral sexual act. Uh, Adultery, you know, they break down into categories. So what we're talking about is even if it was a little girl, would still be fornication in the Moral Sexual Act because the uh, the only place sex is supposed to be taking place at is between a man and a woman in marriage under God, under Christ, according to the commandments of God. Anything outside of that as far as sexual activity is immoral. So that's why it would be fornication.
0: Okay. Okay. I got
1: Can I add you. Something real
3: quick. Absolutely. Just, just real quick, because the whole fact, just going into the further into the point that the brother was bringing out, is that we have to understand that a child cannot consent to sex. Okay. A child, and, and people that are grown that want to play games with this, you know, you need to repent. But a child cannot consent to sex. It's, it's considered rape, and she's being forced. That's okay. Okay.
0: okay. All right. Uh, so uh earlier, uh, Kabar, you had gone into um uh the parents uh role as You kinda hit on it a little bit and you know I kinda switched gears and bent, went back to um the whole thing with the uh the Boy Scouts and so forth. You recall that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm, I'm ready to go ahead and go into the uh, the parents' roles and responsibility. And to to start that, I want to draw from uh, an excerpt in the this article from the L.A. Times that was written on August fifth, twenty twelve, by uh, Jason Fitch, and it reads here: um, Probation also was given to Floyd David Slusher, a nineteen year old staffer at a Boy Scout camp in Germany, who was caught abusing a scout in 1972 and sent home to the United States. Even after he was caught, they had had to physically restrain him of attempting to visit the scout he was molesting, a scout's official wrote to headquarters. A file was opened, but Slusher was allowed to continue working with the scouts. He went on to molest at least eight boys in a Boulder, Colorado troop. Threatening to kill them if they told, according to Boulder County uh, Sheriff's Department reporting this file. Almost every Boy Scout in Troop 75 and Troop 73 had been approached sl- sexually by Slusher, on one time or another. A detective wrote, adding that the victims were too numerous to interview. After pleading guilty in 1977 to one count of sexually assaulting a child. Slusher was sentenced to prison, according to Colorado corrections records, and later released. In 1990, he was convicted of another child abuse crime and is not serving a 25-year sentence, state records show. So now, um, let, let me before I get into the question I want to ask about that as far as the parents are concerned, uh, there's another account here that I want to draw on
3: about... You're Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please read a little bit further down in that very same article about Richard Stinger.
0: Okay, sure. Please, so it, please, goes please. On to, it goes on to say, the Boy Scouts abolished probation and suspensions in 1988 around the same time a notorious case in San Mateo was coming to light. Richard Stinger the head of a unit of the Sea Scouts, part of the Boy Scouts, was charged in 1971 with tying up and fondling three boys. Police found bondage equipment and books on pedophilia in the house. He was convicted of contributing to delinquency of a minor, and a judge sentenced him to four years probation, his file shows. The Scouts decided to suspend him during that period. But when the court-ordered probation ended, a local scout executive and several parents successfully requested that the national office lift the suspension.
3: That's all I wanted.
0: Thank you. All right. Um, There's something else I wanted to read here about a, a boy. His, his actual account of being molested. Oh, here it is. Uh, it reads: uh, Many files contained searing descriptions of molestation from young victims. This is this is the boy. This is his statement. He says. I was crying, and I reached around and hit Max in the face and said, I was going to quit the troop and tell my daddy. A 10-year-old Scott wrote in 1972 describing his alleged rape by a Georgia troop leader, Samuel Max DuBois, Jr. Then we heard the others coming back, and Max said, put your pants back on. DuBois was not tried in that case but was expelled from the scouts. He was later convicted of a child sexual abuse in North Carolina and spent 14 years in prison, state records show. So now, Kabar, I I read all that to uh, bring out one thing about the parents' role. Here we have a situation where less than 1%, some fraction of 1% of children are actually being molested. In the Boy Scouts, we kind of brought the whole scope of the thing here. So overall, scouting could be deemed by most every parent to be a very safe institution to involve your children in. So now here you have these situations where these grown men are molesting these children and then after molesting them. And this is like in one instance here, this guy that did start out in Germany and, and, and went to Colorado. There were tons of kids So so many kids until the detective said It's too, too numerous to even interview And he Threatened these children with death These are children 11 years old Okay Now what's the parent's role And responsibility in a situation like that In order to maintain the safety of your child Well You
1: know it as far as, let's just go into the responsibility of the of the parent. I'm just gonna hit two two scriptures real quick to establish that. And the first one we can go sorry the first one we can go to uh uh Proverbs chapter twenty six and verse six. And and uh Proverbs twenty six and verse six tells us it says I'm sorry Sorry, it's Proverbs 22 and verse 6
4: mm-hmm. Okay,
1: Proverbs 22 and verse 6 It says what Train up a child In the way he should go And when he is old He will not depart from it So the, the scripture is telling you The, the responsibility Of of the, of the parent Is to train up that child In a way or the, the Meaning the direction and That his life should take all right, and when he's
4: older, mm-hmm.
1: that child is going to adhere to that training and that and that instruction and not depart from it, okay? Right. And then also Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but what? His instruction. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, so bring them up in the nurture and the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. The Most High Christ. That's what you're supposed to be teaching them. Basically, the commandments. The commandments, how Christ applied them, how Christ lived. The direction that Christ led his life, and how we're supposed to draw from that as far as how we're supposed to live our life. That's what the parents supposed to be doing for the children. It goes without saying that, of course, the parent is supposed to be the primary responsibility. The parent is to provide and protect the children. Okay. So it's on a parent to be providing for and protecting those children along with raising them up and instructing them in the way that they're supposed to be living their lives according to the scripture. So the thing is, the problem comes in when you depend on the Boy Scouts of America, like it says here uh, in, a, in, a, in an article on Wikipedia, which is the goal of the Boy Scouts is to train youth in responsible citizenship, character development, and self-reliance. That's not the Boy Scouts' responsibility. Why are you sending your children there to learn that? That's your responsibility.
4: Mm-hmm. Responsible
1: citizenship is your responsibility as far as how to be a responsible citizen of the kingdom of heaven under the governance of God and Christ. That's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. When we talk about character development, that's mm-hmm. your job. How do you teach them to develop good character as it relates to the fruits of the spirit, denying the works of the flesh, and being the examples that God and Christ would have us to be, okay. That that is all your responsibility. And then it goes on to say scouting values such as trustworthiness, trust good citizenship, and outdoor skills. Again, all those things fall back on the parent. Hold on to parents,
0: because it almost it almost sounds like the parents are at fault for these children being molested at this point.
1: What I'm saying is what I'm saying is we begin to see where the breakdown in the mindset happens that opens the doorway to this type of thing happening.
0: Mm-hmm. When you
1: begin, when you start turning over your children for other people to raise, you open the door for that type of, type of behavior.
0: But do you think that's actually what they're doing, though, by involving their children in, in scouting? You know, because, you know, one one aspect of, raising your children is to get them socialized. They need to know how to cope and deal with their peers. And scouting gives that Doesn't scouting give them that opportunity to interact with their peers, uh, to, to, to socialize, and then you get an opportunity to talk with them about how things went and so forth and, and to actually, you know, kind of guide them and steer them on how they need to cope in these situations. So, you know, wouldn't an organization light scouting be valuable in, uh, under those circumstances?
1: Well, What I'm saying is, I'm not trying to throw a blanket statement on the Boy Scouts okay. of America. What I'm saying is where it begins to break down, and we have an actual example. We, okay. Let's go to mean, Minda's case, whatever the man's last name is. Here he is. He's something years old. He's a volunteer.
4: Uh-huh. He's
1: letting these these young children ride around with him while he do his uh, couple wear route.
4: Right. And then
1: at the end of that, these children are spending the night at his at his place. Okay, so we're the parents in that situation.
4: Great question. So you
1: trust this man you trust this man to take your children, drive them around all over the place in his car and then leave and then he drives them to his house and they spend a the night with him? That's good parenting. So you, so what I'm saying is you begin to see where the breakdown starts to happen at. That's that's not what you're supposed to be allowing to happen. Because Because your child is young and your child is impressionable and your child looks at that adult or that older person as the one they're supposed to be receiving instruction from. And when you allow that to be given primarily on the outside rather than on the inside in your home, according Mm -hmm. to what is right, which which, which is what's written in the Bible, then you open your child up to uh, provide occasion for these type of things to happen. Your child shouldn't be spending the night at a grown man's house when they 11, 12, 13 years old. How does that even make sense? You understand? So, right. So that's where, the, that's where the breakdown starts to come in at. So right. you, can't, you can't turn over parenting to anybody else. Parenting nope. is your responsibility.
0: I just want to clarify something. You said they shouldn't spend the night at a grown man's house you speaking in terms of, in, in, like in a situation with Mingay, where this kid is going to be alone with this man. Uh, you, you're not speaking so much in terms of, you know, um, here's your close friend that you've known for the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, you, you were around when he got married to his wife. You have children. You know his children. Y'all spend time together, and your child is spending the night at his house with his children. You're not speaking in terms of that, are you?
1: Um, well, the thing is, no, not necessarily, because primarily, of course, I'm dealing with this specific case. And in in any in any instance, an example that you just now raised, uh, that's that depends on on the parent. You know what I'm saying? And the relationship they have with that right. with that other parent, so on and so forth. I'm not speaking about that. I'm talking about in this particular instance where you have a representative from an institution doing these things. You don't know that person. You don't have the intimate relationship. You don't know his family. You know, all of these things don't exist. So so that's what I'm saying when you begin to open things up. And still and even even in that instance that you did that you did mention, great care has to be taken in that situation because as we know as we know, you know, things break down in those type of situations also and things happen. So That makes sense. You know, we we we're in that time period when Christ said that the love of many will wax cold because sin is going to be increased. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, we, you have to be vigilant. You have to be diligent and I I don't care who it is. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. You know what I'm saying? But the Mm -hmm. thing is in this coming back to the topic, we're talking about you can't turn over parenting to any other institution outside of your household because God gave you that responsibility
0: not you know something?
1: Else to drop the kids around and spend the night over some stranger's house.
0: You just say if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. And that that makes me go back to a time um, how many years ago has been? I, I think maybe 15 years ago, when my when my sons were relatively young, they were at that age where my oldest son could could get in, involved in Boy Scouts, and uh, I took them to. Uh, they were trying to form a new troop. I took them to a meeting uh, in the community uh, at this house. And I I can't, I don't have explicit recall of exactly how things went, but I recall um, that the property was sort of secluded. And then when we got inside the the, the property, it was not well lit and there was not much in the way of furnishings or anything like that. And this person that was presiding over the meeting was just a sheer stranger to me, and I thought to myself, "Wait a minute! Now I'm going to get my son and Boy Scouts, and one of the things they do is they take these trips overnight to different places. I'm not feeling comfortable with this. That was the first and last meeting. So I I I think you have a great point. If you don't feel comfortable with it, just don't do it. All
1: right? I mean, I, I, absolutely, I, because we 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 go. We go back to you as a parent, okay? You're not gonna leave the judgment up to your child. Well, if they feel comfortable, fine. If they don't feel comfortable, they just wanna go on the trip and have fun. You have to take in all the other factors and then make a determination. That's your job as a parent. You can't just blindly say, hey, it's the Boy Scouts and you know they you know they should be trustworthy, they should be fine, or things should be okay and then let it happen. Mm-hmm. No you, you got to take every precaution and perchance that's the Lord, telling you, listen, don't do it, turn away from this, go, you know, go in a different direction, and those are the type of uh, instructions that we have to listen to if we actually going to be guided by the Lord. we got to take those instructions and just be like, okay, I know my child wants to do this, I know they want to have fun, but there are things about this that are sending red signals off to me, and I'm not going to do it. I'd rather take the chance of my child being temporarily unhappy than permanently damaged. That's,
0: right. that's the choice. Right. Now, I think you want to weigh in.
1: Yeah, actually, it's just a couple of
3: points um, as far as the parent's responsibility. I want to read real quick uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 20, and this is really just tying into the whole point of what uh, Kabar brought out earlier in, in Proverbs 22 about training the child. Because when you look at training, you know, when you get enlisted into the military, you go through what's called basic training, meaning that these are the things that are supposed to prepare you for, you know, live combat. Mm-hmm. You go into any type of, uh, you know, civil service, whether you're a firefighter, firefighter uh, EMS person or anything like that, or even going to school. All of those things are preparing you for the situations that you may encounter in the future. That's what that training is going into. And it's repetitious so that so, when you find yourself in a situation that you don't have to think about what to do, you just react the way that you're supposed right. to, that's going to ensure your safety or ensure the best outcome or at least give you the state of mind to remain calm the fire so that you can make the right decisions and not allow yourself to get, you know, basically just bugged out because things are falling apart around you. Now, having said all that, you know, it, it just goes back to, Parents being able to keep that uh, building, first of all, that trust with their child to being able to keep those lines of communication open. Okay, and that starts from a very young age because a lot of parents feel very uncomfortable speaking with their children about sex. And it's like, oh, -hmm. that's that's the
4: word.
3: You know, and it's like some parents are like, well, they're learning in school. Or uh, they're learning. You know, you don't want your child to learn about sex in school. You don't want your children to learn about sex from their friends and from any other outlets. You want them to be able to communicate with you about those things openly and honestly.
4: Mm-hmm. Which is
3: why we have to be, as parents, we have to be very, very careful about what we tell our children and how we instruct them. Um, and I'm gonna get to the scriptures here in a second. But I'm just gonna reference uh, a documentary called Deliver Us from Evil, and I think it came out in about uh, 2006 or so. And basically, long story short, it was a documentary going into the child molestation of a particular uh, Catholic priest that basically went from parish to parish to parish and abusing children along the way.
4: Mm -hmm. And towards
3: the end of the documentary, you know, you had this young lady. She basically was telling her father many, many years after the fact of the molestation that she had suffered as a child. And the father was sitting there like, well, why didn't you tell me? And she Mm -hmm. said, well, daddy." I remember a long time ago that you said that if anybody touches me, that you're going to kill them. And the reason I didn't tell you is that because I didn't want you to go to jail. Wow. So as parents, we have to be very, very conscious of remembering, you know, because we were all children at one point. Mm
4: -hmm. We have
3: to be conscious of that and and try to really, you know, just take those things into consideration, the things that we tell our children and when we instruct them. Now, on to the Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. It says, And when thy son asketh thee in the time to come, saying, What mean these testimonies and these statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We, are, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, I'm going to skip on, well, I'll just keep reading down to verse 25. It says in 22, And the Lord showed signs and wonders great, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God in our good ways, our good, excuse me, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And this shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he had commanded us. To make a long story short, it just goes back to the point that Parents have to be able to recognize when the time, and you know, it, it comes to a point that a child may ask you a question. You need to be on your toes and be like, oh, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to teach the child about this aspect, but also to feed them in certain other aspects of certain things. Mm-hmm. So that the child knows that, hey, if any person touches me this way, that is wrong and I need to be, come back and tell my father. And if they've because a lot of times we we underestimate the influence that adults have over children. You know, we, we really do. And it's in you know, why well, I told them to do this. I told mm-hmm. them to do that.
4: Mm-hmm. We
3: underestimate the influence that adults have over children, even when they're so-called instructed. But it just goes back to the point of listen. Anybody touches you that way and they tell you that they're gonna come kill me, or do some harm, or this, that, and other, make us lose on my job. They're lying to you. It's all a lie. Don't let anyone touch you in that way. And if anybody does, you come back and tell me and we'll see what we can do about that so that it never happens again.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so so uh, Kavar had brought out earlier about how um, it is the parent's role to teach the children. You don't uh, put that uh, responsibility off on the Boy Scouts or any other organization. So Boy Scouts' motto, be prepared. All right? So how does a parent prepare a child for a potential confrontation with the child molester? Anybody?
2: You, you got to use the scriptures. Uh, and, and, the, and the example that Abadza just gave, going back over to the scripture that, um, that uh, Kabar brought out, uh, training up a child in the way that he should go, first and foremost, we're supposed to be training up our children according to the laws, statutes, and teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Enveloped in that training is, especially in these days and times, watch out for, the, for, for, for this type of people. If they say things not right to you or if they make certain hints or suggestions to you, watch out. Come see me. Come talk to me. We can talk about these things. And and, and, and and then I will make the necessary, uh, take the necessary steps so that this person doesn't make these types of comments or doesn't act this way or carry himself in this manner towards you again. Now, in that is an underlying scripture, and that is Hebrews 13 and verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with mm-hmm. such
4: sacrifices, God is
2: well pleased. So mm-hmm. in that We've got to establish that communication, parent with the child, child to the parent. In, the, in that, excuse me, in that, the child feels comfortable. Okay, this is what happened to me, or this is what was said to me. Okay, so now it is our job as parents to let's take what my, what, 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 what my son or what my daughter is saying and let's filter that, and if it comes out through you processing these statements that your child is making to you that something is not right, there are a thousand and one red flags or one red flag that goes up. It's time for the parent at that point to become very, 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 very proactive and seeing to it that this type of behavior or this type of activity does not happen again. Mm -hmm. That's one way. Uh, and, 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 And as I said before in Proverbs 27 and 23, uh, about looking well to the herd, be involved. Be involved. As I said before, I was part of the Boy Scouts. But my mom and my dad were both were both excuse me asking me questions. Where did you go? And uh Zoc, can I ask you a-, a question concerning that? I
1: think Two hours.
2: I- we cooked out and then we came back. Uh, that, that's something. That's not defending the Boy Scouts, especially behind mm-hmm. stuff like this. But just relaying my my experiences to you, yes, sir.
0: So, that last you little bit you said, a great, a good deal of that cut out. I don't know yeah. if you care to repeat it or not. But mm-hmm. uh, Avaja did have a question for you.
3: Yes, sir. Go right ahead with the question. Yeah, not not to get uh, I guess too personal. Um, just kind of more or less to drive a point home. Were your parents together
4: at that time?
2: No, sir. Uh, My parents were divorced at that time, but they both had the understanding. They both had the understanding that when it it came to me, yes, he's involved with the Boy Scouts, but I want to know what you're doing. I want to know where you're going. My father was asking questions. My mother was asking questions. Not only was I being asked questions, my scoutmaster was also being asked questions, well, where are y'all going today? Well, how or how did he do? Things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of being diligent to know the state of thy flock and the well-being of thy herds. I know I'm butchering the scripture, but that's an example of what was being stated in Proverbs, the 27th chapter and verse 23. So the mm-hmm. point of the matter is uh, when Kabar made the statement that you can't depend on somebody else to raise your children, that is true. You cannot. At the same time, on the other side of it, if children are involved in these things, in these different organizations, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, so forth and so on, it is your, and I, can't, I cannot emphasize it enough, it is your responsibility to know what is going on. Now, when we camped out, we camped out overnight. I never camped out overnight at my Scoutmaster's house. When we went out hiking, we camped out overnight. We were in a big field surrounded by hundreds of other children, along with a whole bunch of other adults there so that was, that was something else uh to be keep kept in mind now I'm gonna put this out there me being as old as I am now would i would I involve my children in the uh, boy Scouts? no nope.
0: mhm so. So I'm going back to uh, my question, though. You know, uh, how do you prepare somebody for an encounter, a, a child, for an encounter with a, a child molester? Because understand, you know, the Boy Scouts is one organization where you've had child molesters. But, you know, we know that it, it occurs in the Catholic Church and other churches. It occurs at school, you know. So, you know, you've got all these potential areas where your child may encounter a child molester. Mm-hmm. So, what things do you tell your child? How do you go about preparing them for that encounter with the child molester? You know. Well, you
1: know, uh, you you got it. It starts with your mindset, and when you start with the mindset of okay, when your child reaches that age where they're going to start interacting on the outside, then there's other other. Scriptures that really come into play At that time all the scriptures Are in play but then particular Ones become uh, 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 More necessary To emphasize at a particular time First uh, John 5:19, especially It says that we know that we are God And the whole world lieth in wickedness So you have to understand okay you know What now my child is beginning to interact More on the outside Basically interact more with the world and the world lies and wickedness. There's all manner of madness, fornication, oh, this everything. A cesspool of sin is out there. So you have to be you, you. having that mentality now have to begin to deal with. Okay, what what might they encounter, and how you do it is you don't you don't give your child, especially at a young age, you know, uh, 11, 10, 11, 12, 13, you don't give them. Overly complicated instructions, because God didn't give us overly complicated instructions. Simple instructions, which is
6: what:
1: don't let anybody touch your hair. If somebody touch your hair or somebody do this, tell me. If mm-hmm. you see this or somebody says this, tell me. It's a few simple instructions. But, uh, don't, but, it,
4: but like, Kavar,
2: don't be alone. I got to add something to that too. To get a point.
0: because yeah, by that time they've already been molested.
2: Exactly. That's my point. And what I wanted to, not to cut Kabar off, because he's, he, is, he is definitely establishing a point. But now, right. if you want to talk about real, real end-time situations when a person tries to t- get away, get away from that person. You find the nearest school, uh, the nearest teacher, the nearest principal, the nearest other uh, scoutmaster. Some, find somebody with a phone. Matter of fact, I give you a phone. For something like that, in other words, if your children were involved with stuff like that. In other words, how you this is what you do. Someone touches you here, get away from. Them. Someone tries to do something or says something that makes you feel uncomfortable, get away from that person. You tell some, you tell a teacher, you tell a counselor, you tell somebody, and then get into contact with me as soon as possible. Don't sit there and wait around and see uh, what happens next. Don't do that. Get away from that person. You tell a teacher. You tell a principal. You tell a counselor. You tell somebody, and then you get in contact with me, the parent. And here I come to try to help rectify or protect you. Excuse me, uh, in cases like that. That's 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 the best I can tell you.
0: Okay, now you, you, you got a situation where these children are under the authority of these people that are the actual perpetrators, and as the authority, they are they have the responsibility to set certain limits and constraints on the activities of these children. So say, for example, it's it's a classroom setting. Uh, This child's in the classroom and this child feels threatened and they decide, well, I'm just going to leave the classroom. I'm going to the principal's office. And and here's the perpetrator telling the child, listen, if you leave and go to the principal's office, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to not only be in trouble with me, you're going to be in trouble with the principal and your parents. Okay, you got a child that's eight years old. Some children have a fortitude that they can see straight through that, and they're not going to listen to it, and they're going to do exactly what the parents say. Others don't. Now, can you? Uh, would it be in line to reassure the child that under those circumstances, if they feel threatened, even if the child is wrong about the threat, would it be in line to tell them, do this, leave The area go get some other Help and I'm going To support you even if you're wrong Because they can be wrong They might feel threatened but be wrong Absolutely
1: Because you're talking about We're we're talking about a situation You know where there's The child you know there's an emergency And based on what the child either has Been instructed or knows They see an emergency I mean we'll, we'll hash out Whether it was valid or not but we, you, you don't you you don't take the chance of uh, it may not be valid. You don't do anything, and then something happens. So yeah, in in a case like that, me as a parent, I'll tell my child, you leave, and then we'll I'll deal with it, and 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 find out what the deal is. I would even add to that thing the list of emergency reactions that the brother Zach was going into as far as getting out of there if if you see something. Or 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 you feel uncomfortable getting out of there. I would even add scream as loud as you can. Just straight up start screaming while you're trying to get out of there, because that automatically puts the panic, and then the person has to now reassess their situation. So I mean I would even add that, but I don't. I I mean whatever the situation. I mean whatever is necessary to be to be done. I would tell my child to do it, and and we'll and I'll deal with whatever the the real issue or the consequences is later. But if I have a chance to stop something that's going to be permanently damaging to my child, over uh, temporarily disruptive to a class at the time, then I'm going to choose the the former and have hmm. my child be protected rather than potentially damaged for life. All
0: right, brothers, you, you're bringing up some excellent points here. Uh, we do have a visitor to the virtual living room. We have our brother Kadar in the virtual living room. Welcome, Kadar. Hey.
6: Shalom, brothers. How, how's everyone today? Good. Hey, Good show. Very relevant. And I was just listening, and I just wanted to add in a little bit to the question um, that was asked, how do you prepare your children? And Kabar actually pulled the scripture that I was going to pull. Mm-hmm. And that's First John 5 and 19 where it says the whole world lies in wickedness. So knowing and understanding that the whole world lies in wickedness, knowing when we send our children to school, knowing when wherever our children are there's potential for molesters, psychopaths, crazy people, whatever you want to call it, to molest our children or to do some harm or do some wickedness. So really what I do with my children to prepare them is actually I talk to them about scenarios. And I sit down and I say, hey, what would you do if a person does this? And I give up real molestation-type situations, and
4: Mm -hmm. and I'm
6: sorry, but it's the world that we live in right now. Some people might think it's going too far, but this is the world we live in. So I ask straight-up questions like, what would you do if someone grabbed your breast and says, hey, I like you. Why don't you come sit on my lap and things like that? Mm -hmm. And and from reading any of these stories about children that get molested, in, unless it's a severe case where it's just like a straight-out assault or race, in the situations like in school and the Boy Scouts, there's always little things that they do to find out first which child they can molest.
4: Mm-hmm. So
6: they do little things like they might do a little soft touch and stroke in the back. And now, so that's what you talk to your child about. What if someone is always touching your back when they're talking to you? What should you do? And you start preparing them for that because once they know, okay, well, that's not appropriate for them to be rubbing my back whenever they're talking to me, they're coming home and telling you, and now you're put on high alert. Right. And you you could be on the point of alert where you say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable with that at all. I know this person. I don't know them well enough something might be up with this. Let me get them out of this person's area. Let me get them away from this person before anything even happens. So it's like what you were saying, well, by that time they were molested, but no, there are ways that you can prevent it. Is it 100%? No, but there are things that you can teach your children and show your children and certain signs that they can watch for and you can listen for that if someone is constantly touching or trying to get your child alone Or they, oh, um, can we go here or there together? Those are the things that you start, they should raise your eyebrow and give you a cue. And it goes right back to what? Train up a child in the way she should go. Because another major part of that discussion that prevents molestation is actually we have a lot of discussions about what marriage is. Mm
4: -hmm. And what
6: marriage is and what sex is. And how that's not... Marriage and sex is between a man and a woman when they're of age. So certain things a man shouldn't be trying to do to you, even though you're five, four years old, no, a man shouldn't be asking to see you with your shirt off. No, no one should be trying to touch your breasts, a man or a woman. No, so nobody's hand should be near your your vagina or anything like that. All of these things, some people are real uncomfortable having those talks, but I'd rather be uncomfortable having it beforehand. Than having it after someone has molested a child or has done something to a child that is untowards untoward or or evil or wicked.
0: Mhm. Uh, uh, great points there. And one thing that you you just brought out that um you know I was kind of fishing for, and you said that it, there's no 100% guarantee on preventing your child from being molested. There's nothing you can do that's 100% guaranteed.
6: Other than keeping them in a box the whole day? No. <laughs> because the whole world lieth in wickedness.
4: Right. Exactly. That's
6: something we have to understand. The whole world lies in wickedness. Bro, there was a situation, and it shows you how crazy it is. A woman is out at the store, sends her male child into the boy's bathroom, and while he's in there's some pervert in there that rapes the kid in the bathroom. And she's standing outside the door. So oh, there is God. no 100% guarantee in this world that you can prevent it. But there's certain things that you can teach a child to have them equipped and to make them more prepared in case something happens and for you to stop it beforehand if they see certain
0: cues. Well, does does the scriptures offer any assurances of safety to the righteous? Because I understand the whole world lies in the wickedness. So and Kabbalah earlier, how the world is talking about, it's not talking about the plants and the rocks and so forth. It's talking about the people in the world and how they have uh, these wicked hearts and so forth. So uh, there's a, there's a distinction between the things that occur for the wicked and the things that occur, occur for the righteous. So does scripture offer any assurances of safety for the righteous?
6: Well, I, Two scriptures. One is Psalms one nineteen, verse one sixty five, and it says, Um, Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. So, yes, in a lot of cases the most high does protect us from these things. And we are protected when we're keeping his commandments. And the ones that are following his law and keeping his commandments and instilling those in his children, then yes, there is a great peace that we have and we don't have that worry that a lot of other people do, because we're also cautious and aware of what's going on in the world around us. And then another scripture tells us. I was trying to find this um, in Psalms, and this is going. I, is hold on, this is it. Psalms thirty-seven and twenty-five. He says, "I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken?" nor his seed begging bread. So what happens is when we're doing the right thing, the Most High, yes, he is taking care of us. He is watching out for us. But as you read in the scriptures, you do see at times that bad things happen to righteous people. Uh It's all about how we deal with those situations after they happen. So, yes, there is ways of preventing it and not having those major catastrophes happen to you or... Or, and I won't even say that, or there's there's ways of us keeping the commandments where we'll be protected to a degree, but then this still falls into a place where when bad things happen to us, how do we deal with it from there? Because things are going to happen because we live in a wicked world. You're going to get your house broken into. You're going to have accidents. You're going to have some pain. There are going to be some things that happen to you, but as long as we're following the most high in Christ in the end, we know that everything is going to be okay and all things that happen to us, we're going to be healed from because that scripture just tells you where Jesus is healed. Okay. But all right, uh, if we rely on Christ, we be healed from all of that.
0: Okay. Um, Kazaki, okay, that's one other thing I, I just want to really get clear on in regard to uh, the parents and and the, the, the child who's a victim um, who's actually at fault here? Because, you know, you, you, we've we brought up some things about the parents' responsibility uh, for raising their children and looking after them and making sure that they're safe and making sure that they're taught well and all that. But when something like this does actually happen, are the parents to blame at all for these things happening?
2: The person who is at fault is that person with the reprobate mind that, that perpetrated the act as you read about in uh, Romans 1, and verse 28, as it says, even and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So the point of the matter now becomes the person who is at fault is that person with that reprobate mind that did not want to apply the scriptures or didn't know the scriptures, and they have this reprobate mind, meaning this reject mindset this reject mentality in which they are embracing things that are considered wrong. That, if, if anybody is to be the blame or to bear the blame or to be held responsible, the person that perpetrated the act, those are the persons that are held responsible. However, I do have to put out there that that person who did those things, they too also have an opportunity to repent and live their lives according to the example of Jesus Christ.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. And I think we, I think we did bring that out earlier about about them repenting. And, and what about the children? Because oftentimes, um, when uh, I've I've heard that when children go through these situations, they're they're riddled with a lot of guilt, uh, self-loathing, and and they also, uh, in some instances, uh, bear blame for actually uh, having these things done. You know, uh, what brothers? What can you say to them to give them some type of uh, consolation?
3: Well, you're sorry. I'll just read from the book of uh, Deuteronomy.
0: Okay, Abaja. Okay, Uh, Abaja just uh, dropped off. Uh, Supposed to be back. But anybody else want to uh, expound on that? Well, Basically, basically.
2: it has to be explained to the child that it is not your fault. You, you were not the one that caused this act to happen or caused this, uh, this type of action to be perpetrated against you. That has to be explained, explained to the child uh, constantly, so they don't, they uh, the, so they don't think that they are the blame for it. I also have to uh, still bring in the repentance of Jesus Christ and that if these things do happen, this is what the scripture says, that ye put up concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the point of the matter now becomes, if these things do happen, we have repentance in Jesus Christ, and that you don't have to continue to carry that that guilt, that oh, I caused this, or I was the person that caused these things to happen to me. You don't have to take that guilt on you. You can leave that in repentance alone. Let that be with the, the with that dead man that is that is dead uh, dead spiritually, and you be this new man in Jesus Christ, in which you are a new creature. All those things that happened that has passed away, and you don't, you're not carrying the guilt. Or the blame of those things in this new person in Jesus Christ.
3: Okay, I'm back. All right, Evadja. Okay, I was going to read Deuteronomy 22 and 5 because the script is a very explicit as far as the so called blame in, in situations such as this. Uh, even though we're dealing here with uh, what would be constituted as rape, the, the case is very similar. Uh, Deuteronomy 22:25 25 says, But if a man finds a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that die with her that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. So the scriptures are going to show you when you are a victim of those crimes, the, the, the Lord said that there is in that person the victim no sin worthy of death.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So we need to understand that You know because you know, Again the, the psychological Aspects of that and trying to You know deal with that You know again we can seek Our strength in Christ and you know Even try and get counseling for that To deal with that But the whole thing is is at the end of the day The Heavenly Father said That there is in no sin in you worthy of death So you didn't do anything wrong with That said the Lord But he's going to deal with that other person Because the other thing we have to remember too The perpetrator of that crime You know, even though let's say that person May have been in their sins and all of that Okay, yeah, they can repent But guess what They're still, just like when we do anything We're still going to have to deal With the ramifications and the judgments And the consequences of our decision, Even on this end Right. That does not excuse us from dealing With the consequences of our decisions On this side Even though
4: in most cases we Okay.
0: All right. Uh, uh, brothers, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us here today, and thank you to the audience and all those that are listening to the archives. Well, uh, most of all, all go to thank you like, the most kind of name Son Christ. Until next time soon. Brothers and sisters Thank you for visiting with us In the virtual living room Of the Body of Christ Church You can visit our website at thebocc.com, Or you can email us At Christ At Or call us at 877-871 1712 Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ, bless you. Shalom.